Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Wednesday, January 27, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and I think I want to start today on the SEC. Busy night on Tuesday night in the SEC. Alabama beat Kentucky. Auburn beat Missouri. Tennessee beat Mississippi State. LSU won at Texas A&M. So now the Crimson Tide is 9-0 in the SEC. 10-game winning streak and in possession of a three-game lead in the league standings. In other words, Alabama is running away with the SEC like it's a football season or something. Kim Palm now projects the Crimson Tide to not only win their first SEC regular season title since 2002, but to win it by at least four games. Deadleg, how much of Alabama-Kentucky did you see on Tuesday night, and do you realize you really are living in a world where Alabama was the number one seed in the college football playoff and could be in the same year a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. I think you're the first person in media to bring this up. Yeah, maybe someone locally, obviously, I would think someone locally shouts to Cecil Hurt and has maybe thought about this exact kind of thing, but I haven't heard anyone bring it up until you on the on the pod right now, the fact that Bama, obviously the number one team in the CFP, and then, yes, the Crimson Tide basketball team could be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament in the same academic year. Uh, it's certainly heading that way. It's 9-0 and in the league. How much did I watch this game? I, I, GP, I had it on, as I've mentioned before. If you have, if you're a college hoops diehard and you listen to this podcast, we love you. Shouts, by the way, to the people I've noticed in the past uh, week and a half or so. Our downloads are up about 10 to 15%. There's clearly an audience that waits to hop on until college football season ends. Welcome to all of you. You're going to have a fun time throughout the season. As I've mentioned before, if you have Apple TV and you want to get as much out of your college viewing experience as possible, uh, I've got a two-TV setup in my office. So one of them, if you have Apple TV, the ESPN app will allow you to go as much as a quad box. So I had the Bama-Kentucky game as one of the four options on one of my TVs. So I was I was watching it. I wasn't keyed in, obviously. I just wanted to see if Bama could could take care of what it needed to take care of. Kentucky has now reached a, a true point of irrelevance. Uh, but with Bama winning the game, getting to 9-0, and it's best conference start. 65 years since it since it's gone nine and zero in league play, outstanding, and its longest win streak uh, in more than three decades. So this is this is big time stuff. Um, Alabama is. I'm going to give John Gasway of ESPN credit. I saw him tweet something as I was in between, like trying to uh, get stuff done this morning. I popped on Twitter for a few quick minutes, and John Gasway uh, because Bama's top ten in tempo, in uh, pace. He's he's dubbed Alabama. Quicker oats. <laughs> it's actually not bad. It's not John Gasaway's got the best vocabulary of any college basketball writer by a wide margin. Yes, that is that is undeniable. Um, he uses incredible words. But and I and I as someone who uh, who appreciates a good vocabulary, I definitely uh, I appreciate what he do what he drops there. But yes, in short, I watched the game. Kyle Boone, not Kyle Porter. Don't know where Kyle Porter was on Tuesday night on Twitter, but he wasn't talking. I about know Alan. where he was. Where was I he? know what he was doing. What was he doing? He was on a Max Homa Zoom call. Okay, there we go. I don't know if you're serious or joking. I don't want to know, but I, I like I like the motif that we've got going here. Anyway, the point is Kyle Boone pointed out that uh, that Bama took 16 three-point attempts in the first half, only four in the second half, still wound up winning. Kentucky fans were a little uh, a little up in arms over the fact that the the free throw disparity in the in the second half was like it was like 22 to four or something along those lines. Whatever. Kentucky's five and ten. Bama continues on its roll. It's a top ten team. You've got them in the top ten of your rankings. I got got them in the top ten of my power rankings. Completely deserved. And yes. Anything can happen in this wild season. Pauses could be around the corner. Bama's three games up in the loss column. To me, it's done. This team is going to win the SEC regular season championship and put itself in a good position to be either number one, two, or three seed. It's becoming one of my favorite teams in college basketball to, to watch because it's just um, it's just a fun team. They play fast. They shoot a lot of threes, and they're good. Yeah. Like that, that's a perfect combination. A team that plays fast, um, shoots a lot of threes, and is actually like good on both ends of the court. That's a rare thing in college basketball. Alabama checks all of those boxes. What was interesting about Tuesday night's game, 
and this is a point I made last night on CBS Sports Network, is that we know that Alabama is committed to a certain style as much as just about anybody in the country. They're going to try to get up about 65 shots a game. Uh, nearly half of them going to come from three-point range. They're going to really guard you. They want everything from the, from the arc or at the rim or at the free-throw line. That's how they want to play. We know that if they're going to take 33s and, and make 45% of them, you're dead. You're just not keeping up. I mean, maybe Gonzaga could, maybe Baylor could, but nobody in the SEC can. What's interesting about this team is that they can win when they're not doing the things that have created headlines recently. In other words, last Tuesday night, they beat LSU by 30 when they made 23 three-pointers. Then they, this Tuesday night, they play Kentucky. They don't even take 23 three-pointers. They only got up 51 shots. On average, entering the Kentucky game, they were, they were getting up 65 shots, nearly half of them coming from three-point range. Against Kentucky, they only got up 51 shots. They only took 23-pointers. They only made six of those. Still wins by double digits. Why? Because they're terrific defensively. They're now up to number eight in adjusted defensive efficiency. Held Kentucky to 35% shooting from the field. Turned them over 17 times. When you've got a team that plays fast and is capable and is committed to shooting from the arc. And oh, by the way, I think three of their top five scores shoot above 40% from three-point range. So when you've got a team that's committed to launching and you're good enough to knock down 12, 15, even sometimes 23, you are capable of beating literally anybody when you're playing well offensively. The great thing about this Alabama team is that they cannot play well offensively. They cannot play the way they want to play offensively and still beat you by double digits. That's what they did to Kentucky on Tuesday night. I thought that was super impressive. And yeah, now the question isn't whether they're going to win the SEC. The question is how many games are they going to win it by? And are they going to have a resume that's impressive enough to actually secure a one seed in the NCAA tournament? Because they are on their way to that. I'm going to ask you uh, for an apology. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. I'm going to ask you for an apology. And I know, listen, we love our Colleague. I'll probably I'll probably offer you an apology. I love apologizing. I know, I know. Well, listen, this isn't a big I love apologize and I love accepting apologies. I love accepting people's apologies. I will provide you with an apology of my own when the time is suited. It could happen before this podcast is over. In fact, the way things go sometimes, I'd almost bank on it. But if you look at the Ken Palm SEC page, right now, the top five players in terms of efficiency and the most important players, the most effective players, the best players in the SEC at this point in the season, five, Trenton Watford at LSU, four, Xavier Pinson at Missouri, three is Trey Mann at Florida, two is Cameron Thomas, who's been a fantastic freshman for LSU, and number one is Herb Jones. In the preseason, when we did our top 101 players, all y'all, you... David Cobb and Kyle Boone all strong, strong jaw too. Strong jaw more than anyone. I'm not even gonna bring up the Alabama player he wanted on our top 101. All pushed back on Herb Jones. Now, what do you have to say for yourself? He's averaging 13.6 boards, three assists. He is uh he's averaging a, a block, 1.7 steals per game, highly efficient, 48% from beyond the arc. Listen, this is an annual thing in terms of me picking a player or two. That just seems to be a little off the radar, telling you it's going to be good. You don't believe me, then we get to the end of January, and I'm proven right. It's disrespectful. I apologize to you. I, I also apologize to Herbert Jones. <laughs> imagine being. Imagine first you get named Herbert, and then you get disrespected by the uh, college basketball writers at CBSSports.com. That's a bad little run, you know? It's not okay. But you know what? If you're listening, Mr. Jones, well... Now you've got your apology. Don't need it from me. I've been a believer since the beginning. Alabama's got a great, fun team and uh, and Jones. I was surprised to see that because they do have, listen, Petty has been, uh, you know, absolutely fantastic. Uh, Shackelford, I still enjoy watching uh, play a ton. Overall, it's, it's a very fun team. And it was, GP, it wasn't, it was a notable, it's been a notable week, but it was a notable night in the SEC because while Bama got the win to clear uh, three games in the loss column of everyone else, uh, what else in the league kind of stood out to you on Tuesday? Well, hold on. Now I'm now I think I'm starting to recall my argument against Herb Jones. I think my argument was basically rooted in people have been talking about he's going to be good forever. And he's never been that <laughs> notable. So why are we expecting a breakthrough senior season? Okay. I had the made, intel. I made, had made, made sense at the time. 
He averaged 4.2 points as a freshman, 6.4 as a sophomore, 7.9 as a junior. Usually, if you're not rocking and rolling by your junior season, you just kind of are what you are. You gave me apology, an apology, and now you're trying to relitigate your case? What are you doing right now? I want to relitigate. <laughs> then I'm going to need an apology again. Okay. okay. The, the I apologize player to in you the SEC and Herb Jones. I apologize for trying to relitigate, but I feel like I, I am actually now remembering me and Strongjaw were very oh, yeah. much against Herb Jones. Oh, he shot he shot 7% from three-point range. You stood on protest. There's no doubt about it. I'm just I, I sensed it coming. He shot 7% from three-point range. I mean, he barely took them, but yeah. still, 7%. <laughs> He's blossoming right now in a significant way. He is blossoming. He's the rare senior who is blossoming. That is kind of an unusual thing in college basketball, though, to be a whatever player and then be – you know, uh, arguably the most important player on a top 10 team as a senior. That doesn't happen it's too often. It's just less common than it used to be. I mean, in 1986, we saw some more of this. But yes, he, he has been, uh, he has certainly been uh, a relevant piece on that team, but he has not been what he is now uh, in previous seasons. The other game that I was trying to just kind of lead you into with the softball pitch was obviously Missouri playing against Auburn on Tuesday night. Missouri takes a loss, drops to 10-3. and three. It's 4-3 and three in the league. Uh, we can talk about Auburn because you know what? Our, our opportunities... Um, they won't be abundant going forward. They haven't been much this season because they took themselves out of the postseason. They did that before. They did this before they knew, I guess, for sure Sharif Cooper was going to be available. Um, Sharif Cooper is a straight-up dude. I mean, listen, for Mizzou fans, I know I understand it's a frustrating loss, but if it's any consolation, Auburn with Sharif Cooper is not the same team it was without him. Kid has played six games and has been an outright stud uh, for the most part in terms of just changing the entire identity of what Auburn has been. He's not an ultra-efficient player just yet. I wouldn't necessarily expect him to be, but he has stepped in, Parrish, and been as impactful of a freshman in this kind of situation that I can never remember, and frankly, there just aren't a lot of analogs because you don't usually have a high caliber, the, you know, top 10 level freshman not play for the first 30% of a team season. Um, that was a game I was more locked in on than the Bama-Kentucky game, and for Auburn to win, I wasn't surprised by it. I thought Missouri was going to win, but, uh, but Auburn can really, with Cooper now in the mix, gives a jolt to their offense, and this team can be a true spoiler in what's obviously a, a bit of an up-and-down SEC. Whatever somebody did to jeopardize his NCAA status, I completely understand why he's <laughs> worth it. He's worth. He's worth. He's worth breaking rules for. I did. I. I. I knew he was a five-star point guard. I didn't think he was this. I mean, this dude is unbelievable. Twenty-eight points, eight rebounds, seven assists against Missouri. He's now averaging twenty-two point three points, eight point seven assists, five point zero rebound. I would break an NCAA rule for him right now. <laughs> I, I know you would. He's not quite good enough of a three-point shooter yet for me to break an NCAA rule for, though. Here's That's the crazy thing. Stay that stat line again, and as you say it, listeners, understand this. He's shooting 19% from three-point range so far this season. What were those lines? Uh, uh, averaging 22.3 points, 8.7 assists, 5.0 rebounds. He's Game-changer, truly. truly. Who would you cheat for more? Sharif Cooper or Herb Jones? I gotta go, Sharif. At this point, yeah, I would too. I gotta I would, yeah. I would, Sorry, I would, I would, I would, I would do level one violations. <laughs> <laughs> I'd do level one violations right now if you want me to to to, to get him You're where not I alone. need him to be. You're not alone. You're not. <laughs> Sharif um, Cooper just ensured Alabama is going to win the SEC. By the way, that's the other lesson here. He's uh, they're four and two with him in, in the lineup, and it is funny to go back and like uh, think about. A, I don't think Auburn knew for sure they were going to have Sharif Cooper. And B, I, they couldn't have possibly imagined he would be statistically a monster the way he's been. If you knew Sharif Cooper was going to be playing in January and would be awesome, do you actually ban yourself from the incident play tournament? Maybe not. I, I, I think no. To be honest, like if, if you're really asking everyone connected to that Auburn program that had a true say in whether that happened or not, and you say, okay, here's the situation. You're going to get him eligible in January. Here's what he's going to do by the end of January, and then you kind of you got to play out the string from there. If they're being honest with themselves, they don't self-ban for this season because the SEC is, is for the taking, essentially, from the two-spot on down, okay? This, you know, adjudication from the NCAA and the – the IARP has taken forever as is. So, no, I don't think they would have. It's, it's, it's interesting how Auburn now has this, and then Arizona, uh, which self-imposed, you know, could wind up being the second-best team in the Pac-12. We'll have to wait and see on that. But uh, but those two schools are, are certainly, uh, well, 
They're having a season. There was a point where when they both, the moment they both self-imposed postseason bans, you could reasonably say, well, they're not going to the NCAA tournament anyway. But now it, it seems pretty clear they would at least both have a, a chance. Uh, Arizona, because the resume's, you know, fine. And Auburn, because they just added a dynamic point guard who is lighting up basically everybody in the SEC. Um, Missouri on the other side of that, you know, Missouri you know, ranked Auburn unranked, but I don't know if you noticed the point spread. Auburn was actually favored by two or three in this game over Missouri. So it was a unranked team beating a ranked team, but it was not a quote upset. And the reason is because the computers hate Missouri. (laughs) The computers hate Conzo Martin more than Tennessee fans hate Conzo Martin. They're 27th in the net 34th at Ken Palm, but they have five quadrant one wins and just one loss outside of the first quadrant. Like only Gonzaga has more quadrant one wins right now than Missouri, but the computers don't value Conzo Martin's team nearly as much as, as the quadrant system does or as much as the, the human polls do. Like I didn't drop Missouri at all in the top 25 and one on Wednesday morning, not because I didn't want to punish them for a loss at Auburn, but because when I looked at their resume and started looking at the resumes of the teams below them, I didn't, I couldn't find anybody below them that I felt deserved to be ahead of them. So I just kept them right there. I think that's probably fair. There's, uh, there's more to see from Missouri. There's still, this is going to be the best team that Martin's had, but uh, it's not a totally surprise. I thought it was going to win, but it didn't. And so, uh, so by nature of the loss, I think the big takeaway in the SEC on Tuesday night is, uh, is Bama just, you know, clearing it. It's, it's got plenty of house money to use now from here until uh, we get to the postseason. And now we head into the SEC Big 12 Challenge. Uh, That means Alabama's next game is going to be at Oklahoma. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. Um, Missouri's next game is going to be against TCU. And Auburn's next game is at Baylor on Saturday. So that's Sharif Cooper, Jared Butler. That should be one of the biggest games on the schedule. Speaking of the Big 12, some interesting results in that league the past two nights. We're going to dive into that next. But first, Norlander. Tell the folks about LinkedIn Jobs. Thank you, GP. And it's a new year, and that marks a fresh start for your small business. Whether you're shifting business hours or hiring more remote employees, one thing that remains unchanged is the importance of having the right people on your team. When your business is ready to make that next hire, LinkedIn Jobs can help by matching your role with qualified candidates so that you can find the right person quickly. And to lend a helping hand, your first job post is free. Go on the LinkedIn Jobs platform. There are all sorts of easy-to-use tools to help you build your business today. LinkedIn is an active community of professionals with more than 722 million members worldwide. Getting started is easier than ever with new features to help you find qualified candidates quickly. Post a job with targeted screening questions, and LinkedIn then will quickly get your role in front of more qualified candidates. Plus, manage job posts and contact candidates from a single view on the familiar LinkedIn.com as functions are streamlined onto one simple screen. And guess what? Now you can do this all from your mobile device, no matter where the day takes you. That's how LinkedIn Jobs can help you hire the right person faster. When your business is ready to make that next hire, find the right person with LinkedIn Jobs, and now you can post a job for free. Just visit linkedin.com slash I. Again, that's linkedin.com slash I, E-Y-E, to post a job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So there were some interesting Big 12 results the past two nights. On Monday, West Virginia rallied to win at home, beat Texas Tech 88-87. Then on Tuesday, Oklahoma beat a shorthanded Texas team 80-79. So now Baylor is 7-0 in the league, two-game lead in the Big 12 standings, best team clearly. Then it's Texas at 5-2, Oklahoma at 6-3, West Virginia at 4-3, Texas Tech at 4-4, four four, Kansas at 4-4, four four, Oklahoma State at 4-4. Four four. It's all bunched up there. Norlander, let's take the past two nights in chronological order. How fun was that West Virginia-Texas Tech game on Monday night? It was a blast. Uh, and, uh, you know, you really got the full experience with, with Mac McClung because he, you know, he had some huge shots. He forced a couple. They didn't drop late. Like there were opportunities for McClung to hit uh, a big two or big three to to give Tech just you know a two possession buffer. It just didn't happen. He did hit another three in the final minute that uh, that went a long way there. I mean, he finished with thirty points. He 
he is, we mentioned this a few podcasts ago, but he is, he is better at tech than we thought he was going to be. Uh, he has <laughs> stepped in and been an absolute baller, but credit to West Virginia. Um, I, I had a, what they beat a, who'd they beat earlier this season? They had a game earlier season against Oklahoma state. They won at Oklahoma state and it was a game that Oklahoma state should have won in similar ways that Texas tech should have won against West Virginia on Monday. But you talk to coaches in that league, and while this is generally true of, of pretty much every team in the league, it just seems to be even more of a, of a rule without relief with West Virginia. Bob Huggins' teams do not quit. They could be down by 22 points with four minutes to go. They will not quit. So the, the, you're, if you're up on them, like Oklahoma State has been and Texas Tech was in, in WVU's joint on Monday, um, it's just not safe. West Virginia, to ra- after it started off well in that game, then got down, it looked like, okay, Chris Beard's team is just going to get this. Wasn't the case whatsoever. Extremely impressive win and a big one, obviously, for for the Mountaineers' resume overall. For Texas Tech, the loss just put, uh, not that there's any real doubt here um, with Baylor at the top, but you know, it, it, it just... Between that and the game we're going to get to, there's there's clearly a lot of separation there. I enjoyed it. Wonderful Big 12 game on a big Monday. It's, you know, uh, the old school fan of me loves when you can get a true big Monday game that feels like a big Monday game. To me, even without fans there, uh, for the most part, that felt like a big Monday game and to me was as significant a win as Bob Huggins' team has had so far this they, season. They had fans there. The whole McClung family was there. <laughs> there are a lot of Mama, McClungs, yeah. Lot Mama of McClung. McClung was raising the roof after every basket, <laughs> and considering Matt got 30, she was her. I, I bet she woke up on um, Tuesday morning, her arms were sore. She ra- she was raising the roof on that Coliseum. There was a lot of a lot of roof raising. There's no there's no doubt about that. She's a sure. big fan of the of the uh, roof raise. Yeah. I, I wonder like like we I've reached the point, I don't want to speak for you, but like I've reached a point where I am maybe the same age as some of these parents of these of these players who were who were playing college basketball now. That's a, I, there was a time where I was a beat writer younger than some of the players. Yes. Now I'm the same age as some of the players' parents. Oh no. Yeah. What happened? You just had a birthday, man. Jesus Lord. I know. know. What happened? Not ideal. But you know what? The aging process. Resisted as we may. Father time. Undefeated except against Tom Brady. Texas Tech losing, by the way. It to me, it's a two game losing streak. Nothing to be, you know, ashamed of. Lost at home against May, you know, Baylor top two team in America, and then drop on the road against uh West Virginia. It's just slippery here because now you're gonna play at an LSU team that can definitely beat you this weekend. Um where do you have the Red Raiders in your rankings right now? I ask because of this. They've got a wonderful road win that they just got two weeks ago at Texas. That's a great win, and they have a really, really solid win at an Oklahoma team that's going to go to the NCAA tournament. But it's just those two at this point. So your your rankings tend to be more you know, overall resume-based, which is entirely fair, and it's frankly why when we get to March, GP's top 25-1 and one is often reflected in the way that the bracket will get seeded in many ways. But Texas Tech has lost against Houston, Kansas, Oklahoma State, Baylor, and West Virginia. No bad losses, but yet only two good wins. I'm not yet entirely sure how good this team is. It's, it's a top 20 team across the board in predictive metrics, and I think that's probably it. But when I watch them, sometimes I think, yeah, this could definitely be a team, though, that's a 5 and gets picked off by a 12 in the first round. I have Texas Tech 12th in the top 25 and one. Um, but, you know, they, they, I tell you this, I don't think there's another team in the top 20 that I have that is two and five in the first two quadrants. And that is what Texas Tech is right now. Now, four of the losses are, are quad one losses. When you really dig into the resume, it looks, it's better than the way it looks on a surface level. But, they are two and five in the first two quadrants. That's not great. And the two wins are by a combined four points, by the way. They're wins all the same, and you get credit for them, but just for some context, uh, at Oklahoma, 69-67. At Texas, 79-77. And that was a game Texas could have easily easily won. So, again, full credit for the wins, but it's not like those two wins came by double digits and they were runaway wins there. I, just, I find the team to be interesting, and I think you are definitely in a very entertaining and potentially fortuitous way, but a potentially a disastrous way. You're flirting with fire with McClung, who can definitely be a streaky player. They, they're they a joy to watch because of it, but I just don't find this to be a team that I think that I would inherently trust unless uh, I see some patterns change by the time we get to March. 
So I have them 12th in the top 25 and one. They're 13th in the net, 13th at Ken Palm, 8 in BPI, 15 in Sager. And so the, the computer numbers are all strong, but they could use some more big wins. And, man, they just gave that one away. I mean, I don't want to discount what West Virginia did, but they weren't just up. They were up 12 with less than seven to play. And McClung's cooking. Like, you're supposed to win that game. And I didn't notice this in real time, like, as I was watching, but I saw somebody tweet it after the game. They went 10 for 10 from the field in the final 935, West Virginia did. With 935 that. left in the game, they they never missed another shot. They went 10 from 10 from the field to win um, in the final seconds. Of course, it was the Miles McBride little runner, and then McClung misses at the other end. The roof collapsed on Mama McClung. But that's a – it's one thing to go to West Virginia and you're down – four at half you're down eight with 10 to play you're down seven with five to play you lose by four like you you know you don't like it but like you just lost to a good team on the road it's another thing when you're up 12 with seven to play like you got to win that game like if you're a legitimate top 15 team you need to knock that one out and they just could not get a stop literally for the final 935 of the game that's how you turn a loss into a, uh, that's how you turn a win into a loss and rather than being 5 and 3 um in the Big 12 right now they're 4 and 4 and tied in the standings with Kansas and Oklahoma State so that was Monday night and then on Tuesday night we got another interesting game it was Oklahoma beating a shorthanded Texas team, 80-79. Now, the Sooners have a four-game winning streak, another win in there, um, the one from this past weekend, a victory over Kansas. So it's good stuff. I've got Oklahoma up to number 20 in the top 25 and one. Computer numbers are good too, but I think the context does matter. And the context from Tuesday night is that they were missing two of their top four. Texas was missing two of its top four players in terms of minutes played and three of the top eight, plus head coach Shaka Smart, all due to COVID-19 issues within the program. So, again, it's it's a quad one win if you're Oklahoma. Don't apologize for it. But I was asked last night on CBS Sports Network and then again this morning on CBS Sports HQ, like how, what, how big of a deal is this for Texas? And I said, not at all. I mean, it. you know, you play a game, you want to win it, but the context does matter. They're missing three of their top eight in their head coach. It's not that shocking that they got caught. No Courtney Ramey, no Jericho Sims, no Brock Cunningham for Texas in this. How about Texas? So it has three losses, all at home, by four to a Villanova team that could be a one seed, by two to a Texas Tech team that could, should, may eventually be a top five seed, and then by one at home, shorthanded, to an Oklahoma team that is going to make itself into the NCAA tournament with plenty of room to spare. Um, I'm in Texas has at Kentucky uh, this weekend, and Chaka Smart is not uh, anticipated to be on the sideline for that, of course. So that'll be interesting, uh, just uh, what happens in that game. Texas should win. We'll see what kind of Kentucky team shows up. I'll be interested to see, depending on the results, of course, um, how Texas, if Texas continues, let's say it loses three more times before we get to Selection Sunday, wherever those losses come. But they're all by four points or fewer. If it has six total losses and uh, all of them are by four or fewer, how it gets treated by the Selection Committee, where, where it ends up, and how the predictive metrics continue to treat it. Because I think rightfully so, Texas is still established as a top 10 team uh, in uh, in Ken Palm, in the Massey composite. And I think that's legitimate. And I would not, yeah, I mean, listen, um, it got a little wonky there at the end. Uh, Oklahoma holding on. Uh, certainly a riveting game. Oklahoma, by the way, it's interesting. You didn't reward, it's not that you didn't reward them, but we just talked about Texas Tech. Oklahoma has one fewer loss, and the losses are uh, at Xavier, and then at Baylor, and then at Kansas, and then home by two to Texas Tech. And it has better, it has more quad one wins right now than Texas Tech. On a neutral right now, if you made me take either team, I think I would pick Oklahoma or t over Texas Tech. I don't think that would be the line. I think if those two teams played on a neutral tomorrow, it would be Texas Tech probably minus one and a half, minus two. But Sooners are they're a good team. A little bit underrated because they weren't projected to be a top five team in the Big 12 heading into the season. But they're in the midst, by the way. See, and this is going to still be the case. I still think Oklahoma is just going to be a team that's just out there. Projecting the NCAA tournament doesn't get a lot of attention. We'll give them a little bit of love here on this podcast because was able to get a win here against Texas. It's the second game in a seven-game stretch where Oklahoma is playing a team ranked currently 11th or better in the AP Top 25. It is 
as hard of a run as just about any team. Uh, I believe it was Indiana that also had like a 10-game stretch at one point where every opponent over 10 games was in the AP Top 25. But we're talking for Oklahoma, 6 out of 7 against teams 11th or better. So Alabama this weekend, If again, these games got to remain as scheduled. Then at Texas Tech next Monday, the easy one is home against Iowa State next weekend, not this upcoming one. Then home to Baylor, at West Virginia, home to Texas. If Oklahoma can get through this next stretch with three wins in that run, it'll be it'll be frankly just fine. It'll be 13-7 and seven at the end of that, and I think it will still comfortably, comfortably be projected as a single-digit seed. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So a couple of teams came off COVID pause on Tuesday night. One was Drake. It did well. The other was St. Louis. It did not. Let's talk Drake first. Played for the first time since January 4th. Beat Missouri State 68-61. Bulldogs were actually down 15 points at half. Still won by seven on the road. So now they're 14-0 on the season. And my friend Rob Fisher, who does sideline for the Memphis Grizzlies, pointed out on Twitter that not only is Drake undefeated, but Drake has covered every single game it's played. They're 14-0, 12 double-digit wins, and they have covered. So if you've been betting Drake, by the way, I don't know if you knew this, oh first school ever to be named after a hip-hop star. Look it up. Google it. Google it. If you've been betting Drake every, uh, every time out, you ain't had really anything to do since January 4th until last night. But... You got a whole bunch of wins in there, which means you're probably doing better than most people who bet on things. That's right. I was aware of this because I had to pick this game on HQ on Tuesday, and I picked against Drake. <laughs> I said, oh, no. You picked against Drake? I you picked, picked against, against Drake. I did. I did. I did. Um, they were, yeah, the comeback, I mean, to rally from 17 down against a Missouri State team that's probably going to be the third best team in a solid Missouri Valley this season, and to win again, uh, wonderful. Now, to be clear, we are recording this podcast, obviously, on a Wednesday, and Drake, Missouri State, uh, doing it back-to-back, as, as many mid-major leagues are doing, so there's another game. Back-to-back. That's Drake. Back-to-back. Is that's that, Drake. Is that a Drake tune? Remember when Drake was, uh, who was he goofing on? Meek Mill, maybe? No idea. I think he made a Meek Mill diss track, and it was called Back to Back. There we go. Look at the I think synergy. that's true. Could be. I'm going to assume it is. Anyway, it's playing at Missouri State on Wednesday, so as we uh, as we puff up Drake, as we should, uh, we'll see if it can handle winning games and back-to-backs. Obviously, there has been back plenty of inconsistency with that this season. But how about Drake? Tenth in the net as of Wednesday. And it's managed to do this by having... Uh, there are 12 games that count if it's 14. Two of them were non-D1. So 12 games count toward it. So as far as the net and the NCAA and the selection committee are concerned, Drake is 12-0, not 14-0, because non-D1 games don't count toward your NCAA tournament resume. It's 1-0 in quad one. Uh, it, it, what's weird is if it wins again against Missouri State, it will theoretically be 2-0 against quad one, but the win might actually bump, may bump Missouri State out of quad one to make this Drake. 0-0 zero and zero in quad one, and then 4-0 and oh in quad two. It's 3-0 and oh in quad three, and 6-0 and oh in quad four. Um, 
If you are the type that likes to see mid-major teams and conferences get multiple bids, then you need to root for Drake to continue this because right now the Valley is in a solid spot with, obviously, Drake not having lost yet. Um, But Loyola Chicago is 26th in the net as we speak here, and it is sitting uh, pretty at 22 in Ken Palm, which is Eight or nine spots better than it was when it tipped off in the final four against Michigan a few years ago. So plenty of time still to go. But as far as I can tell, this isn't this is uncommon. And of course it would happen in this uncommon, unique season. You have a Missouri Valley conference that has two teams in the top twenty-six of the net. I'm telling you this, regardless of the records, if we get to selection Sunday and Loyola, Chicago, and Drake are both within the top twenty-five of the net, and and you know, their predicted metrics are helped. Like Loyola is still top 30 in Ken Palm. I just, I, I think the league will get two bids uh, if that's the case there. But they got to maintain it. And by maintaining it, you can't take bad losses. If Drake were to lose against Missouri uh, Missouri State, that would not be a bad Missouri Valley loss. But it, basically those teams only losing to each other is the way that you ensure you get a two-bid Valley this season. If I remember my rap battles correctly, Drake killed Meek Mill. And then... Figuratively. And then Pusha T... King Push, Kingpin, Overlord, murdered Drake. Said he was hiding a child. <laughs> I do remember that, by the way. <laughs> As in, like, you had a child out of wedlock and aren't telling people or something like that. Didn't that you, happen? That, that man said, you are hiding a child. <laughs> power rank those three those three hip-hop artists for me, if you could. The Gary Parrish power ranking, one, two, three. How you, who are you going there? King Push, one. Yeah. Drake too, I guess, and then Meek Mill. I King Push, King, me and King King Push and I follow each other on Twitter. Now, is this a situation where he's following three hundred and seventy-four people, or he's following four thousand two hundred and sixteen people? Let me. Because there let is, me you know, there's there's a little bit of a difference there. How many people is King Push following on Twitter? I'm about to tell you. That's what I'm doing right now. I know. I was vamping. King. King Push follows 885 people. You know what? That's a legit follow then, I think. And I am one of them. King Push, Kingpin, Overlord. Didn't you go to, uh, what's that famous chicken spot in Memphis? Gus's? Yeah, didn't you go to Gus's with King Push or something like that? I've never met King Push. Okay. I I would love to. I thought you had, didn't you, did you not have him on your radio? You had some hip-hop star on your radio show. Who was Killer Mike. There we go. Perfect. Yeah, no, I, uh. Killer, Killer Mike and I follow each other on Twitter too. I'm big in the rap community. There I don't you think go. you. I don't think you properly recognize. Um, I don't think you properly recognize your standing in the in the rap community. Like I might be the same age as Mac McClung's mom, but I'm still big in the hip hop community. I got, I got. I have relationships with King Push and Killer Mike. I've never. I've, but I've never had a meal with either of them. I had a. I had a vodka drink with Killer Mike. All right, there we go. I. Uh, I had Corky's barbecue with. Uh, with um, Roy Jones one time. Not a, not a rapper. <laughs> I know. Yes, he is. What? Roy Jones is a rapper. You can put it on YouTube. As in, okay, I, we're talking the boxer. Roy Jones Jr. Yeah. Pound R- for pound. Rapping. He's a rapper. He's a rapper. Okay. Google uh, Roy Jones and can't be touched. I'm good. No, Google, Google it. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> you, got any, you got any thoughts on Darian DeVries' Drake team? You are hiding a child. What? What? Um, I I do think it's... It, it, listen, they still lack quality wins. So if people were asking, why don't you have them in the top 25 and one? It's because the resume, I don't think, is there yet. Not their fault. I mean, they you know, they're in the league they're in. But it is notable that they started 158th at Ken Palm and they're all the way up to 61. If you jump that much in that computer you are wildly exceeding expectations and performing well so i don't know if i'll ever get them into the top 25 and one but they seem like a legit quality basketball team and and darren you know we talk about national coach of the year candidates all the time and obviously in this year mark few would be on that list and scott drew would be uh, on that list. I guess Nate Oates would probably be on that list, but Darren would probably Rick Bird would be on that list. <laughs> the, the, the late Rick Bird. The late Rick Bird. How dare you? <laughs> How dare you? The the happily retired Rick Bird. Belmont 16 say. and 1. Casey Alexander's doing a great job and I know uh he's got family members listening to this podcast, but on a certain level I still got to credit 
Rick Bird. So that's what if Rick Bird released a diss track aimed at a, aimed at Meek Mill? Wouldn't that be something? Would that would that be the most surprising development of 2021? That might be a significant. <laughs> that is certainly emergency podcast material if we can somehow make it happen. So. Darren would be on the list for National Coach of the Year candidates right now. At least if I were making the list. So Drake at 14 and 0, and yes, as you know, to play Missouri State again on Wednesday. St. Louis was the other team that came off COVID pause on Tuesday night. They had not played since December 23rd, so more than a month, and they lost at home to Dayton 76-71. You probably watched it on CBS Sports Network. They were down 9-2 to start the game. Uh, they shot 52% from the field, but still lost because they got Jalen Crutcher, my little homie from Memphis, five three-pointers, finished with 27 points. You know, Coming out of high school, he was not considered a Memphis-level recruit. It's among the reasons he ends up at Dayton, even though he's from Memphis. Um, if he was on Memphis's roster right now, he'd be the best guard by a significant margin. Yeah, he would. And listen, that's a, that's a cherished win for the Dayton fans. That's got to be, you know, kind of gritting their teeth a little bit throughout the season because uh, Dayton's, you know, it's dropped a few opportunities it probably should not have. And because of that, it uh, it's just not quite in the NCAA tournament picture just yet. I saw you talking about this. I had the pregame inside college basketball on uh, my other TV because there was a little nice little window there. And I you rightfully mentioned that it's just not in that conversation yet. Can it get there? Yeah, but it's going to take a significant winning streak for Dayton. For St. Louis, um, we now have had every team in college basketball play one league game that has opted in to play this season. St. Louis finally got it done on January 26th after a... A long pause. It had not played since December 23rd, and it's just weird in that it still projects as the best team in the conference, and it's sitting there at 0-1. It's the only team worse in the league so far is St. Joe's. Like Technically, right now, Fordham, which just parted ways with its coach, just a quick news item, Jeff Neubauer is done. He's out. That was expected to definitely happen by March, but it happens now. And, uh, and he's out of there. I'll have more on this in the court report on Thursday if you want to read about Fordham, Jeff Neubauer, and the state of that program. It's technically ahead of St. Louis uh, in the standings, so that's just a little bit wonky there. And St. Louis couldn't do what Drake could do. And for the A-10, um, I think I heard Rothstein invoke Hannibal Lecter on this, but um, on CBS Sports Network. The league is going to get multiple bids, but it's such a foggy picture right now. Because St. Louis, in theory, should be an at-large team. That was a tough loss, but understandable considering how long they were away. Bonaventure. The Bonnies, Bonnies. are an at-large team right now. They are. They're 8-1 and one overall, 6-1 and one in the league. They need more games. But right now, yes, they're there. And then you've got this mix of like VCU, which is coming off um, a, a needed win at home over Dayton. Its next game is against LaSalle at home this weekend. VCU's there. Davidson's probably in there. Richmond's taken two bad losses at home that have needlessly put it on the outside looking in at this moment, but I would say those are the five. St. Louis, Bonna, Davidson, Richmond, VCU, and then it, like Dayton's going to have to go on a significant winning streak to get in the picture, but maybe it can. I My ultimate guess, GP, I don't know if you thought about this. I was thinking about it when I was watching St. Louis last night and I was looking at the league. <sighs> I'm thinking the A10 will get three into the dance. I just don't. I can't have any sort of confidence on which three it is. But I think things will probably shake out. What you can have happen though, is have teams the likes of Duquesne, Fordham, St. Joe's, George Washington, LaSalle, Rhode Island, which is just eight and eight. Um, those teams knocking off the top teams because there is a situation where the A10 does itself absolutely no favors, and then, and then it looks up and it's it's you know a two bid league max. It should be able to get three, but it's just too tough to tell how that's going to shake out. I have not thought about how many bids the A-10 is going to Well, get. as someone who's the MC of A-10 Media Day in all non-pandemic years, shame on you. I spend my time thinking about rap battles and only rap battles. Of course I've thought about how many bids the A-10 is going to get. I would say right now, if you put the bracket together today, it'd get two, but it's got a chance to get three. But you probably need VCU in Richmond or Richmond to get going. I Not sure if Davidson going to get there. And did you say they're on... COVID pause now because they I, went on COVID pause today. I did not see that Davidson went on COVID pause. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, that's that's a problem. Davidson, like Dayton, is going to have to like finish in the top two in the standings to have a case. Yeah. You should look up that Roy Jones song. What was it called? Can't be touched, I think, or something like that. I just remember him, he fought twice in Memphis and I covered his uh, training camps. Like I, I like spent legitimate time with Roy Jones and uh, I remember him coming to the ring in one of those fights to his own song. 
He walked to the ring to his own song. Which, I know Manny Pacquiao did a song at some point. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I, the, Manny Pacquiao did a song. I remember. No, this. he sings. Manny Pacquiao sings. There we go. Yeah, he's got a whole. He's, I was unaware of. Uh, of These Roy boxers thing. are talented, man. They, listen, if you say so, I, I'm, I'm not up on the uh, the boxing hip hop hip hop scene overall, but uh, but yeah, I mean, if 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 you say that's the case, then I'll. Uh, and I'll believe you real quick, by yeah, the way. You have to try. You're 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 going to be the Ion College Basketball Podcast expert when it comes to NCAA tournament protocols. And I'm going to be <laughs> the Ion College Basketball Podcast expert when it comes to rap battles. OK, that's true. I, I'll have more on that. I tweeted about that Tuesday. If you didn't see it, I'll have it more in the court report on all that stuff. If you're intrigued about how they're going to actually hold this NCAA tournament, under what conditions uh, there'll be more uh, on Thursday. Speaking of Thursday, just a heads up. Um, couple games to know for Thursday night that we may or may not touch on on Friday's podcast here. Nova at UConn. UConn got a win on Tuesday. Uh, interesting Big East battle. It's a 9 o'clock tip. That's probably the best game of the night. Uh, but earlier in the night, Michigan State will return from pause, or at least is scheduled to at this moment, and will play against Rutgers. Pretty urgent game for both of those teams. Uh, that's certainly one to keep an eye on. And then that's probably it. There are other high-profile teams, like Kansas is playing, but it's hosting TCU. Not a huge Thursday game. Uh, Stanford at Arizona. Stanford, I think, is destined to be a bubble team, so that's that's an interesting one. Oh, that's another piece of news. Stanford, by the way, is finally going to be able to go back to its home county and stay in its own places of living and play games in its home arena. Finally, California rolled back its, uh, its tier system that allowed Santa Clara County to say to San Jose State, Stanford, and can never remember that third team. But they can all go back to Santa Clara County now and play home games, so that's a big-time deal. Nova UConn, Michigan State Rutgers are the two biggest games of Thursday. All right, before we get out of here, do you want me to trivia time you? Sure, go ahead. I look, I look, had to look something up for radio, and it, it became a, uh, a perfect trivia time opportunity. So it doesn't really fit with anything else we've talked about, but it is a trivia time, so are you ready? Ready. Trivia time okay, right now. okay. Right now, Memphis is ranked fourth in adjusted defensive efficiency, fourth in the country, but also projected to miss the NCAA tournament. Oh, boy. When is the last time an NCAA tournament eligible team with a top five adjusted defensive efficiency ranking missed the NCAA tournament? Just what year? Is it? Okay. Just it's only so you research this through and through and there's it's only happened once in the Ken Palm era. I, I don't know that because I stopped when I found it. I don't know that, but I, cause I, I can look it up. I can. No, 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 it's good. Out. I mean, you're saying the most recent time that it happened. Yes. Is the what year? before I guess the year is the team guessable. Do you think once I explain to you the team and the coach, I think you might be able to go, okay, well that makes sense in a multi-bid league. Sure. Power conference, power conference. Okay. I will say. My guess on the year is, oh, last question. Hmm. Is this a team that was eligible to make the tournament? Yes. Okay. Otherwise, they wouldn't fit my criteria. There we go. Um, How about this? I'll give you the league. All right, give me the league. Pac-12. Then I will say, hmm. I'll say there was a, I'll say there was a, Think, bad think, Oregon think, team in no, like okay, you're you're wrong okay. you're wrong whoever's whoever's recording these answers this is going to go down as a miss for Norlander it's a miss but, it's a miss I'm, okay think think of the greatest defensive coach yes, you Washington can think State of. under Tony Bennett Maybe. in 2008 it's 2005 and ah. it's a Dick Bennett team it's a Dick Bennett team okay. in 2005 Washington State finished number one in adjusted defensive efficiency but went 12 and 16 because they were 264th in offensive efficiency. Goodness gracious. And since then, every team that's been eligible to make the NCAA tournament that finished top five in defensive efficiency has made the NCAA tournament. Memphis at risk of breaking that streak. My guess is Memphis doesn't make the NCAA tournament and it's outside the top five when we get to March. So it won't apply to this. That's, that's my projection. Well, I'll make sure to relay that to people this afternoon. On the you radio. should actually, you should, you should in the midst of uh, informing your local audience, you should just be like, just so in case anyone's unaware, um, Matt Norlander on the Ion College Basketball Podcast says this just isn't going to happen. So you should just, 
You should chalk that up. All right, let's get out of here. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle. Legend. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys for listening to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Once again, in the middle of the dumbest pandemic I've ever experienced in my lifetime. Norland, I ain't never seen one like this. I'm aware. Uh, but the president did say yesterday, did you see President Biden? He said we have committed to buying 200 million additional vaccines so that every adult in the United States could be vaccinated if he or she chooses by the end of the summer. So that's encouraging news, isn't it? You're damn straight. I'm, I'm eager. So I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm not like you. I, I'm not, I haven't gotten my single, I haven't gotten my dose yet. By you're the way, a, you're doing a podcast with a half vaccinated man right now. I did a I did a brief media availability with a half vaccinated man yesterday. Rick Patino had tested positive for COVID nineteen in between getting his first shot and then the second scheduled shot. So he just came uh, out of isolation a few days ago. He's good to go. Iona hasn't played since December twenty third. So I just bring this up to say, uh, you know, careful out there. You know, don't, don't let my don't, don't let my guard down. Don't let your guard down. Don't be walking around like you're some sort of superhero. That ain't the case. All right. So, I always walk around like I'm some sort of superhero. Okay. But I would never let my guard down. Plus, here's the problem with being vaccinated. It's not like you got a sign on your head that says you're vaccinated. People don't know. Mm-hmm. So like you you walk around with no mask on, you look like a jerk, you know? Like it's like, hey, hey, why won't this virus denier put a mask on? And I could say, but I'm vaccinated. But I can't have that conversation fifty times a day inside Kroger. Yeah. So you just gotta, I gotta, I gotta conduct, I gotta conduct my day to day operations as if I'm not vaccinated. But let the record show, you are talking right now to a half vaccinated man. I'm proud of you. If you haven't subscribed to the Island College Basketball Podcast yet, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. Leave a nice review, five stars. Shouts to Pusha T and Killer Mike. We're going to talk to you again on Friday morning. Till then, take care. Grab your VIP pass. We're delving into the secretive world of Formula One. Behind the scenes with two of the sport's biggest names, Mercedes and Williams. This is not coal mining. This is Formula One motor racing. As they build their new cars. We want to be so much further ahead. We are in permanent racing mode. And face shocking headlines. Here's Lewis Hamilton moving away from Mercedes. I'm Joseph Fiennes and this is F1. Back at base. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.